I'm trying to remember which one I got it for. The last time I was on, which turned out to be a pretty good, that was a pretty good, good timing one because not everybody was worried like we yeah, were at I just the time. Checked. That was one of our top I'm so, I'm, you, were, you were bearish before a lot of people were, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm so pissed. I Last week we had on Yuri and Timur. Mm -hmm. And bef the day uh, before he came on, I listened to him. He was on a year ago. And I put, I made a note for myself to listen to the episode with you, and I forgot. So this was, this was in February. Um, and things were, the market peaked in January. The but last nobody, time I was on was February? Yeah, it was yeah, February yeah, yeah. 11th. But the market I think peaked. the title was Turbulence Ahead, Turbulence right? Ahead. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the market peaked. Josh, listen to this. So the last time Tony was on, I f***ed up. I, meant, I forgot to listen to the podcast, to re-listen to it. He was on February 11th, the market... The my SP, birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Fucking belated. On February 11th. 2022. The market peaked, like, five weeks prior, but nobody was that concerned, if I remember. I mean, there was already shit that was... Like, our credit had already exploded, and there was a lot of the iPhone stuff okay, was, but... Headphones on, headphones on. The, the title of the episode was Turbulence Ahead. Yeah, well, Tony was right. So Tony was right. I should have listened to him. I, I, I faded him. I went the other way. No, you didn't. <laughs> you don't fade me. Come on, Daddy. What are you, never. kidding me? Never, never. <laughs> I'm not putting my head I never faded Tony oh, Dwyer in my this? life. Are you done with us? Well, you're, you're the first, you then. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, we all get faded. Oh, my God, it's our job, man. I used to have a fade list way, way back in the day. Um, I had a, I had an interesting. Do you effect. remember how uncanny the Gartman indicator was? It was almost like the market forced him out. Oh, uh, poor Dennis. It wasn't even his fault. The algos were programmed to fade whatever he said. So Is it that, was really. It was not. I mean, don't you think it was not coincidental? It was every I time. I really don't watch or listen. This was years ago. Excuse me. This was like eight years ago. Yeah. But it was every time for about a year and a half, two years. Every time he would say something, the market would go the other way, and it wasn't just that he was the worst you know, trader of all time or prognosticator. I think the market was literally... I'll tell you the problem. It's not that. The problem is they created this, like, created this, like, uh, aura. They called him the commodities king. He was no such thing. Like, he wrote a newsletter. It was a good newsletter. He was not, he's not a dumb guy. He had insightful things to say. But when you get built up as the commodities king and then you're on the air twice a day, five days a week... Inevitably, no. You're gonna say there long is, oil, and then oil's gonna go no, down the dude, next day. There is a there is an too absolute much. push for people like us to try to be the guy. Yeah, I don't want to be the guy. No, it's hard because I'm as him. soon I'm as him. you're the guy, <laughs> you're on all the time. Who laughed? And yeah. things move thank you, thank around you. based on what you say. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a bit. I you, believe, like I said the last time we did this, my my job is to educate and help people in their process. Not if, tell if them you what did to like, do. if you did a show, if you did a baseball show, and you said every day, these ten teams are going to win, these ten teams are going to lose. The the odds of like looking smart after three months of that are zero. But wait, hang on, I'm not not the believable point. You will be Dude. wrong in front of enough people no, enough times. No, he was wrong every single time. I know I'm it got saying, to a point no, where it was I'm like saying that. literally the algos were fading him. I'm, I'm not, well, come I'll on. I'll let you me remember. give it to you this way. <laughs> I know you're being when, nice, but you remember. The way that I've handled the media in my career, because I'm good at being wrong, <laughs> the, the reason that, the way that I've handled the media in my career is to try to help people versus look right. Because as soon as you're trying to look right, you're not using the data, you're using your emotion. Mm, okay. So it's Wise. how you look, and, 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 and that's been that way going way back when. You know what? You know what? Hair from. doesn't grow on a busy street. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what else? But you know what else is useful? I'm wrong, and here's why. Here's yep. what, Which, here's what I missed. Do. 
it's very it's very hard to do that with sound bites. Like it's that's right. it's very. That's why I like things like this because you could talk about where you're right, where you're wrong, how you got there, and I think that's the most important thing, Josh. Is how do you get there? Yeah. Is is because that's when that's when we can help people actually in the process because they can do it themselves if you tell the, them how to do it. The other thing that that's impossible is batting average. So, be like here. Here are ten ideas, investing ideas. Like five, five. The first five, a few of them go wrong quickly. All right, I changed my mind about that, or I'm wrong about that. That's not measuring how much is made, how much is lost. That's just that's like it's just a date price. Guys, Nobody invests in the real world on batting so average. Can I show you mental flexibility? I bought Google two weeks ago, and I said, you know what? Nah, I'm gonna sell it. I might buy it back. How about that? Yeah, you should. How about that? You're going to be way wrong. How about that? We're going to talk about Google today, actually. I so, bought it. I changed I my mind. I bought it. Stuff. I sold it a day later. I said, yeah, I don't want to do We're going to talk at you about Google okay. today. So, not, I didn't read that article People yet. love to talk at me, so I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> so turbulence ahead. What do we see now? Blue skies? Nope. Blue more, more skies. Turbulence. No. Oh, Tony. Well, one of the most useful things that you taught me over the years is just like, if you could simplify it to the Fed is on your side or it's not, it doesn't mean you'll get the market right every month. But like directionally, that'll be a better way to think. Is is there going to be more money supply or less? That's it. You, I mean, you were talking about that with me years ago, That's and weird. that turned out to be remarkably prescient. It, it's amazing how we try to complicate it to look smart. Going back to topic yeah. A, yeah. Versus, you know, just on how are you going to spend money you don't have? Yeah. You borrow it. Well, what if you can't borrow it? On chain. I don't know. Well, that's the end of the sentence, right? Yeah. Like, it's, like you, you can't just, it's not magic. Right. Right. And, that, and therein lies the issue that we're currently in. All right. We're going to get into, we're going to get into all that stuff. Fellas, how are we looking on time? We're, we're, uh, we're ready. Let's ready to go? This is an important man. <laughs> yeah. Time is money. <laughs> what happened? What? Not a bear market. <laughs> Very confident. It's still a bear market. <laughs> Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey guys, it's me, JB. I want to tell you about Bird Dogs sponsoring today's episode. I got my first pair of Bird Dogs. I actually got shorts and pants today, and I'm really excited about them. They have stretchy fabric, and this is very important in this day and age. Tried them on, way more comfortable than other shorts and pants. And versatility, freedom to wear one pair of shorts, one pair of pants. Anywhere you go, you could transition from a meeting to a restaurant. Nobody really knows what's going on. All they know is the pants look great. So I'm going on a trip. I'm bringing all of my new bird dogs with me. And you guys should check them out as well. Enter promo code COMPOUND at the link in the show notes and you will get a free Yeti-style tumbler with every order you place. Thanks, Bird Dogs. Episode 87. How did we get to episode 87? You guys feel like it's been 87? One at a time. I was going to say one episode at a time. You know what? Keep it simple. You know what? I think that's accurate. I'm going to play something. A month, right? 
Locked Robin Hood on my email, everything. Like two months go by and a dude shows up at my door with like papers. He said I would like some collection company or some shit and it was like $75,000. Basically this guy said if I didn't pay up, he was gonna take me to court. I was like, go for it. I got nothing. I don't even got wages to garnish. In the end, I think Robin Hood just like took the loss or whatever because I haven't paid him a dime. Right, Yo, so, if you use Robin Hood and you beginning. get margin called and delete your account, this is what happens. Okay, first a little background. A couple years back, there was a bug on Robin Hood that allowed you to get infinite leverage. I ain't gonna explain exactly how it worked, but I used it to get $50,000 of margin off of a $1,000 deposit. And I'm guessing you know what happened next. I bought a bunch of zero data expiry options and I lost it all basically. So obviously the next logical step is to just delete the app, right? Of course, that's I did work. that, I thought I was good. What are you like gonna do, Dan Collider? I didn't Locked Robin Hood on my email, everything. All right, so he blocked Robin Hood and deleted the app and the margin call didn't go away. I can't believe it. That's so weird. So weird. What? So weird. I don't understand what, what kind of world do we live in? The they, system's rigged. When I was, <laughs> I yeah. love, by the way, Tony, chime in. I, love, so, this, I so, love this kid. The amount of people like this kid that have lost money yeah. because we've millions. tried to it's help the, the little guy. Yeah. It's it, it dates back to 1987. You guys, I think we talked about it last time. I was on the SOS Bandits. You remember yeah, this, yeah, yeah. the SOS Bandits, small order execution system that was put in place after the crash of 87. Yeah. So a market maker had to be good for a thousand shares in either direction. And I believe it was the first software. I, I believe it was. I can't. I I gotta. They were in Texas. Better. The Sos Bandits, right? <laughs> they were every, No, they were everywhere. They were so everywhere. what? So what had happened was that after the crash of '87, because everybody faded their bid and offer, their bid um, went during the crash. That they came up with: if you're the high uh, high bid or low offer, you got to be good for a thousand shares as a market maker. Forced. Forced. To trade at that price. It had to be. So if you were off the desk back in the day, and your assistant was looking at the computer. And a news item came out and it became a fast market, but you haven't moved your market. You would hear, you would just hear, so's to head. And, and, and it was a small order execution guy. It was a software program built to find somebody that was stuck on a bid that shouldn't be there. And all of a sudden it's a thousand shares, a thousand shares, a thousand shares. The next thing you know, you got a stock that everybody else has gapped down and you're getting along a thousand shares every second. Because you you're haven't moved maker. your market and, yeah. and you got to be good for and it. And back in the day, you can't delete your app. So, so <laughs> what? Right, you couldn't write the app, so, right? So what? So when you think about that, that was the first time you you picked off market makers, and it was it was to help the little guy, right? Yeah. But you, if you fast forward to now, it's high frequency trader trading that wrecked liquidity. It didn't help liquidity; it ultimately wrecked it because well, it wait, was a backing up, the smaller order execution system was created. Because during the crash of 1987, big institutions who were trying to sell got priority over retail. So they, so they, so they, they put this thing in place where retail had their own system on a parallel thing that they right. would be able to trade in. And you had to be good for a thousand. And years. then the bandits like looked at that and said, "Oh, wait a minute. Who There's can we pick off? There's a business here." Correct. Right. And, and as I remember, I mean, I got into Were you business. one of the SOS bandits? No, I was in a market making. I was director of research at a market making firm, though. Okay. At the time, Sherwood Securities. Oh, okay. Sure. I remember. That was, I mean, I'm, I'm old now. So there's like the guy that, that ran that place was a rock star. Artie Contos was How so long good. did that shit go on for until, uh, the, I guess, that got arbed out? Or? It got arbed out because there's not market makers really anymore. And there's no specialist because you've taken away the margin. Right. 
right? So, so why would you do it? I mean, you could do it, but if there's no margin in the business and you're taking a lot of risk for a minuscule millicent, why yeah. would you ever do that? So what do we have today? Go ahead and try in a fast market to sell stock. Right. You just, you know, it just doesn't happen. And, and so it really ends up hurting liquidity. Right. Um, I want to give you an intro. Tony sits on the U.S. Operating Committee and is the head of the U.S. Macro Group and the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity Group, a diversified financial services firm with operations in North America, Europe, Asia, Australia, and the Middle East. Look at all. Yeah, a lot of titles. Buddy, and if, if you want to read Bro, what you we have to say. you in your title. <laughs> if you want to read what we have to say, where do you think you should go? Canaccordgenuity.org. No, no, that's a good idea too. However, okay. DwyerStrategy.com. DwyerStrategy. <laughs> all right, we're gonna we're gonna do all the we're gonna do all the plugs. Tony, the last time you were here, the like the uh, the uh, the views blew up. People are people love you. How long have you been commenting on the markets and doing your thing? It's it's been uh, how what thirty years, twenty five years, thirty six years. I thirty six years. I um, because I'm bald. At, you don't, you know, you don't look like you age as much, but right. I got into the business in May of 1987, one week out of college. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So you saw some shit like within six months. I, I'll never forget right when I got to um, Wall Street, there was a, there was a, I called it the banana boat cruise. There, there was a research department cruise, the research department I was in at the time. And it was a, a boat cruise around Manhattan. And I was from this town that had more, more cows than people. Okay. Right? Where? And I was like, it was town called Marcellus. Okay. Um, Kelly Evans actually used to live in Marcellus. Is this upstate point. New York? Upstate New York, yeah, outside yeah. of Syracuse, just southwest of Syracuse. And um, I got to New York and I didn't know what's up. <laughs> I lived in Union Square before it was nice. Yeah. Like way before it was nice. Pre-gentrification. Big time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so you got the market ramp within yeah. that six months and then you got the market crash and it was wonderful because it's what made me want to be a strategist because I had the greatest group of people to learn from. It was um, Greg Smith, who was the number one II portfolio strategist for like dozens of years. The guy was a rock star. Okay. Um, Ed Yardeni yep. was the economist. Everybody knows him now as a strategist. He was the Wait, economist. what firm is this? This was Prudential Beige. Okay. And then Joe Feshback yeah. um, was there. So The Feshback brothers? No, he was their cousin. Oh, he, great wasn't, guy. he wasn't part of what they were doing. No, okay. great guy. Yeah. So he. So here's what I did. And I recommend this for any young person listening. It's okay to say hello to people that are at a higher level. Yes. My job was as a liaison to rewrite what they wrote up in their strategy pieces. So I communicated in summary format to the retail brokers. You were ChatGPT. Yeah, I was ChatGPT. Literally, <laughs> nowhere near as smart. Um, so anyway, I, went, I ended up playing basketball with Greg Smith would hang out a little as much as I could with that in the office, you know, if he'd have lunch or whatever. And um, I played racquetball and tennis with Joe Feshback. I went up to them. I was a political science major. I didn't know bull market from bear market. I went up to them and I said, this is my job. I have no idea what to do with it. Can you teach me? So Joe Feshback actually taught me on paper how to do point and figure charting. Oh, Greg that's, Smith that's cool. kind of taught me about the psychology of the market. And I watched Ed migrate through the practical application of the economic data. So if you read my bio, yeah, I just went through it. That's what's listed, practical application of macroeconomic data. Do you think some of the young people around Ritholtz Wealth one day are going to be like Michael Batnick taught me blank? I feel like that's a thing that could happen. I hope so. Right? Yeah, why not? But isn't that the goal? Nicole's If nodding. the goal is to make Nicole, the, don't I teach Nicole. you stuff every day? Come on. So, you know, if, if the goal is 
You're going to make a billion dollars. Okay, so what? Then what? No, I did that already. Right. Like, you right. know, it, to me, the goal is that someday somebody will look back and like I am with those guys. And Larry Wachtel, by the way, was the guy that taught yeah, me yeah. how to communicate Larry. it in summary format. Yeah. Guy he, was phenomenal. He was one of the best. Like in media, he was a killer too. So that's how I, I got on TV. I'm yeah. repeating myself from the last time. But yeah, it's okay. I got on TV because Larry, I, was the, I was the one guy. There were four guys that were sitting on the desk with Larry Wachtel. That this was like you know a few years later, and he was the only guy on FNN before CNBC. Yeah. He was on FNN, and he was the only analyst that would be on. You had to go into the American Stock Exchange and walk up a big flight of stairs. And I would bust his chops because I'm a I was a punk. I bust his chops. Come on, let the kid do it, right? Yeah, he'd yeah. be like, "You're not ready. You're not ready." You're <laughs> say, no. You know what he called me? Impetuous youth. Okay. He'd be like, "You're such an impetuous youth." Yeah. But I was the only one that would answer his phone. Because this was before they didn't know what a computer was. There yeah. wasn't one. So how do you turn it on, Larry? Yeah. It, it was, do, what do you think of IBM's quarter and how do you turn on the computer? Yeah. So nobody wanted to answer his phone. So I did because that's my, that was my dad. Yeah. Like, you know, you do, you do what you're asked to do. So because I was the guy that answered the phone when he had surgery on his knee and couldn't walk up the steps of the Amex, he said, give the kid a shot. Out of boy. And you were ready. No, it wasn't. So it was classic. It was, it was classic. My wife would tell you how funny it was. I get on TV and I got the earpiece and I've never been on TV before. Okay. And I know damn well I'm not qualified yeah. at this point. Right. Yeah. So I'm talking. And but you got the firm behind you. It's, I got, a, real, it's a real firm. It's a real firm. Right. So, so um, Neil Cavuto mm. was the interviewer. And I was told by the booking agent that he was just going to say, okay, what do you think of the market basically? Right. So I get on. And he, he says, how, how does the movement in the Deutschmark impact your view of the T-Bone? <laughs> you got to answer a different question Dude, at that point. You so can't you know that. what, though? Yeah. I did what I hope we all can do. You right. move the conversation. So, to I like General now. Electric here. That's why right? I have it. No, it's, it's like, so I said, I can't answer that question, but here, and I went right. on my thing. But in the min min middle of it, my earpiece falls out. I've never been on TV before. My heart's ready to explode to so begin with. So you lose the producer. So, but the fact that I handled it, I guess, was okay, and they asked me to come back. I had I had a, a, a radio channel because the people listening to this can tell my voice. I hate my voice. My voice is awful. It's unique. No, it's not. No, it's not. I had somebody in radio tell me that I'll never be in media <laughs> because because of my voice. It was right. classic. How's he doing these days? All right, let's let's let. First of all, congratulations on that. Um, let's get into uh, what happened. I thought I think this week is one of, is a momentous week. Because bond yields crashing, and it's interesting. This is this is the first time in a while, at least that I can remember, where both the bond market and the stock market decided to really fight the Fed uh, in opposite mm -hmm. directions. Of course, the bond market is laughing uproariously at that last hike, and at this point in time, only the one month, two month, and three month uh, T bill are trading above where they were January first. Everything from six months on out yeah. is now trading below where they started the year. So the bond market is viciously fighting the Fed. Stock market, too, mm -hmm. because the Fed keeps talking about getting tighter, staying tighter, and tech stocks are ripping. So it's a really interesting time to see both of those things happening. Um, but I want to give you this, speaking of Ed Yardeni, to react to. What does the bond market know that the equity market doesn't? The yield on the 10-year Treasury is down from four and a quarter in October to three spot two nine percent today. Uh, the S and P 500 is up 8% over the same period. 
Bond investors must believe that the banking crisis will soon morph into a credit crunch and a recession, causing inflation to continue to fall. Uh, if so, then the Fed should be done tightening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts but on- But why the stock market rallying? They, oh, hold on a second. What stock market? Mm. The FANG stock market, mm. right? Because six, as I, before I came here, I looked at the, um, on Bloomberg, six of the S&P 11 S&P sectors were down on the year. Yeah. Right, the Russell 2000. The ones that don't matter are Like down. All, the, all the technicians are talking about it appropriately is the Russell 2000 on relative performance is back to the week of the low in March of 2020. Mm. Right, you got the S&P equal weighted, which people don't talk enough about, has given back all the relative performance gains of the second half of last year. So, you know, I think we really have to be very careful about what market we talk about when more than half of the S&P sectors are negative on the year. doesn't mean they're always going to be that way, and you're going to have rallies back and forth. We had a, after the banking, the BKX issue, or the Silicon Valley Bank issue, we put out a piece called uh, BKX Signals Bounce Then Trounce. Because the one thing, guys, you know and I know and, and everybody listening knows is human nature is, is very similar all the time. Yeah. It doesn't change much, right? So when you think the system's going to fail, you puke it. When it doesn't fail, you're like, oh, thank God. You bounce it. And then you got the reality of what it does to the rest of the system. Like not systemic failure, but what does it do to that movement? Of money? So you feel um, you had a 19% gain in the FANG stocks each this year. And it's pretty uniform across all of them. Like, mm -hmm. go look at Microsoft, Meta, et cetera. Um, you feel that it's a bounce and we shouldn't make too much of it? There's so many places that I can point to where it'd be historically unique to not have a recession. And the S&P has just never made the low prior to a recession. What if, what if the buying in those stocks is a recession bet because be. they're the new defensives? It could be. It right. could be, but defensives, but defensives go down in a recession. Like if you, if you look at the comment, I hear a lot of comments about how great industrials are. And they, yeah. they, had, they were up until January. Yeah. Um, they and were now they, Right. Now they're down on, yeah. the, on the year. But, you know, in, this, in, in the fourth quarter and then in through January, they were relative outperformers, right? And people would say, well, when, when certain and big industrial stocks are making a new high, how can you be close to a recession? Yeah. I probably Look at that. the chart. Yeah. The tr it happens literally every time. Yeah. Look as, a, as a matter of fact, it happened. The industrials, I believe, made a, a peak in the middle of the recession in 2001. Do you remember in 08 when or, we were already in a recession? We didn't officially know it yet, yeah. but we were in one and oil went to 200 mm -hmm. and the leading stocks were like Caterpillar. So like there That's are right. head fakes in the stock market all the time. All the time. To your it, point. It's, it, and if you look at, you know, anyway, yeah, it, there so, are. It, it, the problem I think that we have in our business is that you you said it earlier. Sound bites work. Yeah, like I can get I can get away with coming on a show like not like this one because you guys do your work, but I could go on a TV show or another show and I could just make a statement. I I literally could make it up. It could become a soundbite and get around the street. Yeah, and nobody really questions it. Right. right now, the pro. So to me, yeah, you could go on Cheddar and basically say anything if and, you want, I'll and it can become something that somebody picks up and it and it goes viral. And it's not saying it, it's right or wrong; it just is. Yeah, right. And I think that the reason that I've what I've tried to do is have a fundamental thesis that doesn't move because the prices move. It's built on. Oh, I only follow price. My my mood changes every day. Up and bullish. Well, mine mine mood changes. Every day. I guess Guys, I'm bullish. <laughs> I swear to God, my opinion on the market has probably changed twenty five times today. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's hard. I, it's hard. But my actual actions and opinion, public opinion, don't change because I put myself in a box. I say these are the reasons that I have this view. 
this is why these reasons are important. And if they don't change. But like, you know, for example, the BKX goes down 12% in three days during the Silicon Valley thing on March 9th. Yeah. I mean, that's a smoke-a-thon. That's a, you know, everybody's talking 08. Everybody's talking about systemic risk. All the deposit money's gone. Anytime that's happened in the past, since there has been a BK, a KBW bank stock index, you've had a median 8.8% bounce. So the time to put that for out- the S&P or for, for the, the S&P? Okay. For the S&P. So the time to put that out isn't eight days later when it's bouncing. It's into the teeth of the drop. Right. And, think, but, but then you're putting your ass on the line. And therein lies what we talked about before. Do you yeah. want to be right? Do you want to look smart? Yeah. Or do you want to act smart? But so my biggest weakness is I think I'm too humble. So <laughs> no, but I no, but I'm I'm kidding, kind of. But I always, I always, if I if I think something that the market, if the market disagrees with me, or if I disagree with the market, I always defer to the market. Now, market's obviously not always right. But so, for example, I think I am with most most people who anticipate the economy to contract, who does not see relatively attractive valuations in stocks, especially relative to bonds. Um, and yet the market will not tell me that I'm right. And even if you look at the equal weight, yeah, it's not ripping. Well, the market's but, screaming you're right. Uh, that, that who's right? That you're right. Well, I Industrials don't, are down, materials are down, energy's down, financials are down. So the in the first quarter, the, the S&P gained whatever it gained. I don't remember what the exact number was. I think it was 6.4. Half of that was from Apple and Microsoft. Yeah, that's so what I'm saying. X-Tech, the market was flat in Q1, which is, which is you know, it's not bad. No, X-Tech, the cyclical but, sectors that typically do the best off the bottom, including small cap and levered, didn't. They're not working. Um, let's put this up from Tony. Uh, this is S&P 500 down greater than 19% from all-time highs. So these are like the real bear markets. And then you're showing us so, the two-year treasury. So walk, walk us through what okay. we're looking at here. All right. So I went back and I looked at any time the S&P, any time it's been down more than 19% peak, peak to trough. Okay. Which was, it started doing that on October 12th of 2022. It was down 25% at the low, right? Yes. So I looked at any time we, my, my associate Mike Welch helping me, anytime the S&P was down 19% versus when did the two-year peak? So what the point of this chart is, the S&P 500 has never made the low, a bear market low, before a peak in the two-year note yield, ever. Really? So if the peak in the two-year note yield on that bottom was March 8th. I think that's the blow off top. I think that's done. But it doesn't matter. You don't, you know, my friend, friend Helene, don't rationalize the indicators. Okay. It, the S&P 500 has never made the low of a bear market prior to a peak in the two-year note. So what's the implication? So stocks you go back bottomed, to the low. bottomed with air quotes in October, the two-year peak two, uh, three weeks ago. It was a low, not the low. A low, okay. And that's so you think, so you think we take out the October lows? History said, forget what I think. Who cares what I think? The history absolutely says that, you, that it would be historically unique to not take out the October lows. So that's on the two-year. Now let's talk about it from the recession point. Anytime the yield curve inversion, percentage of possible yield curve inversions has hit this level, anytime that the conference board leading economic indicators has hit this level, and anytime that bank lending standards have hit the current level, you've had a recession every time. We got two data points, economic data points this week that would indicate that things are going in the wrong direction. We got ISM manufacturing, which is very closely followed. 70% of manufacturing GDP is contracting. 70%, not great. Today, we found out, this is from Daniel Zhao. He's the economist at uh, Glassdoor. Initial unemployment claims were 228K last week, a decrease from 246 the week before, um, but there was big revisions up. So, John, can you throw up this chart, please? So, we've got the official as of yesterday um, and the official as of today. And what I mean by that is 
the jobless claims from last week were revised up like a lot. Next, <laughs> next chart, please. You saw this? Buddy. Look at this. Look at that. Yes. So the dark blue is what it was reported yesterday or last last time, and now big revision so up. So the Fed is creating interest rate policy off of sticky weekly initial unemployment claims. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Until it wasn't. Right. And now it wasn't. Once you get over 200,000. Which you've now done. Steve Leisman had a good thing that he did on TV earlier today about how it showed up one time in the course of like the last X number of weeks. And now it's every one for because of the revision of the last. Seven. It was revised up from 198 to 246. And, that's a big, and, that's... and continuing claims are now not fading away. Like the all of those open that open job thing and the jolts thing. We're starting to realize that those were not real open jobs. Do you, do you, <laughs> you should actually read how they calculate the JOLT survey. Tell me. Uh, there's, I think. Um, Hang on. In a year ago, three percent of the labor force said they were quitting their job. Three, which is that is what high, it was? Which is high. Yeah, it's a high number. Right. And that's not forget the, case the JOLT survey. Let's just talk about how they collect the unemployment data, the household survey. Yeah. They go. They have to. I they believe send you a fax. <laughs> they knock on your door. or They call you. Okay. So how many people listening to this have a landline that they would? And if you saw that it was the Bureau of Labor Statistics or Census Bureau, you would actually pick it. I up. don't have a home phone number. Now, right. A so imagine don't. who answers that call. And imagine who's answer. If Patty Dwyer is home answering, and somebody knocks on the door and says, "I'd like to ask you some questions about your personal life." Yeah. What are the odds she's going to give it to him? Nobody's answering that call. They have to find. I think it's sixty thousand unique households every three months. And they have to, to give do it regionally, too. They yeah. have to, right. So they're still collecting data in a very bad way. And the point is that the Fed is making interest rate policy off of data that gets highly revised. Even the best data, the weekly initial unemployment claims, continuing claims, are probably the highest frequency best data that just got totally revised in a different direction. Tell so when you think about the Fed, Josh, and you yeah. look back at all the mistakes that they've made, I'm good at mistakes. They're great at them. When you look, and that's because... <laughs> we're looking at revised data and you wonder how could they have raised rates when the data looked like that? Because it was so revised when it's in real time, they're thinking initial unemployment claims are really tight still until it just got revised. Talk me out of this. I don't think data dependent is the right uh, posture right now. It's a horrible posture. How about common sense? Okay. What this data dependent shit, they're looking at year old data comparing it to now. And there's like newer data sources that I understand aren't classically in the indicators that they say are important to them, but uh, we're all aware of them. That's right. Like, like apartment re rental prices. Everyone knows that this data now exists and it's better. It's collected at a higher frequency yep. by reputable private corporations. Can we just like at least incorporate it? Because it's telling a very different story than Very what different. the Fed says they're looking at. So I have a question for you, Tony. If you, so, let's say so May is a May is their next meeting. It's a, it's a while away. What are they more focused on, inflation or jobs? And I'll put it to you this way: So, inflation. If inflation comes down, but jobs, job, uh, job, you know, unemployment stays low and jobless claims don't really, really blow out, mm -hmm. would they pause, or would they say we still have more work to do in the job market versus? If we have like some some bad shit come out of the job market between now and then, but inflation stays, uh, but inflation is down, like what would they, what would they look at? Infl Mike, in inflation is not the problem. It's, it's the labor market. Not, not it's, anymore. It's, it's not. It, it, it hasn't been for three or four months. So it's the labor market. It's it's always the labor market. Check this out. So if you're if you're Jerome Powell, when the unemployment rate's three point 
4%, right? We are at a historic low. Things are, are going along just great on the labor front. It's easy to say we're going to stay tough on inflation until we see the whites of the 2% eyes, right? right? That's easy to do when you're at full employment. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at a chart of the unemployment rate, which I think I had yeah, we've in got what, what you notice in the unemployment rate is it goes, chart, it goes down on an escalator and up on an elevator. I wish I could get up and point to it. Yeah. Right? Companies are very hesitant to hire people until they have to. But when you start to lose your revenue stream, you lay them off really quick. So, all right. So, so uh, uh, but Josh, let me just finish with uh, my question. Yeah, so, yeah. what are they going to be focused on? It's very easy to say we're focused on inflation until you start getting a spike in the unemployment rate. Yeah, they're talking and, tough. And so if, uh, if you have that chart that um, the unemployment rate, I don't think I actually have it in here, okay. is led by the NFIB hiring plans index by four months. And that's been, that's been tanking. On so, wait, basis. explain that. So small business, um, the National Federation of Independent Businesses tracks the biggest group of small businesses. And they have a hiring plans index. Okay. The hiring plans index, it's, you can go online and get it. It's free. Um, it correlates with a 0.8 against the unemployment rate and leads it, according to my friends at Ned Davis, by four months. So once you see alarm bells there, it's not long. Yeah, and it's six months no, old now. Now yeah. it's been it's been really – hiring plans have come down pretty hard in the last six months. And then people – Josh, what do people come on the shows you're on and say? Well, unemployment – Employment's strong. Look at the continuing and initial unemployment claims. It just got revised out. Yeah, it's no. telling you that the NFIB data is right. The mantra is the consumer's strong because there's still $1.3 trillion in excess savings in their bank accounts. Therefore, even if the labor market were to weaken, which clearly it is right now, mm -hmm. um, first of all, it's still historically pretty incredible to be at a three-handle on unemployment. Yeah. Second of all, people have enough in the bank uh, excess than prior to the pandemic they used to have, that spending probably won't change to the degree that it otherwise would. I don't know that I agree that that money in the bank will either, ever come out. What, I, it's there. That's what okay, people are but, saying. But if that were true, why are people paying a higher interest rate on so much credit card debt that just hit it and household debt that just hit a new high, new yeah. record high? So in other words, you don't you don't want to pay a higher... The, the problem of this cycle, which I don't think enough people are paying attention to... The Dwyer family, this is how we spend money, right? You go into a recession, hopefully I don't get whacked and I keep making money. So all of a sudden the Fed cuts rates. So my, my 1996 mortgage at, you know, I paid three points to get seven and seven A's. Rates come down to 5%. I refine my debt, take out a little bit of equity and do a bathroom, redo mm -hmm. a bathroom, right? Because my interest expense on that increased debt is the same monthly payment I had before because I get to take out more debt for the lower interest expense. Yeah. Here's the problem. The pandemic didn't create a credit cycle because the Fed came to bat for the corporate and all bonds right away. So you didn't have a credit cycle. So we're about 15 years now into a positive credit cycle and a positive credit build, a historic amount of leverage. Oh, there was no washout in – there Correct. was no washout in borrowed money. Correct. So it just kept going. So you're at zero interest rates forever. Yeah. So do you guys have a mortgage? Yes. No. What's your rate? Uh, three and a half. Okay, mine, mine's three uh, – mine's two and seven eighths, right? Just about everybody in the universe is below three and a half. Because it was there for how many You'd years? Be crazy right? not to, right? You'd be crazy not to. So here's the problem: for me to refight my debt like I did back then, or I've done it like three or four times. That's how you know it started out as can I get a new sink, and it ended up to be almost a new house, right? Right. right, right. <laughs> that's just the way it works, yeah, yeah. right? But 
for me to refinance my debt, because it's a, I got a two and seven ace loan, you got to get based on the historical spread of mortgage rates to the 10-year treasury yield. For, for it to make sense to me, you got to bring the 10-year bond yield back down to about one and a half to 1%. Yeah. So what, what are the odds of that when your core inflation rate is at this level? So you by, by having rates so low for so long, you've talked, Josh, how much about they're still buying mortgage debt mm. into the heart of a housing boom. I couldn't believe it. They kept mortgage rates so low for so, so long. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. So you've wrecked the catalyst to come out of a recession and to increase your spending is to refinance your debt and oh, take some can't equity. Do it right. That's interesting. Because you're not getting an increase in your wage because so no you're in a recession. No How can you? Right. Michael and I can't do it. So I wanna, Wait, I want to go back to your chart, though. I want to ask you a question about this. Sure. John, uh, the unemployment rate. So what, what you're showing here... You're saying each recession begins with a spike in the unemployment rate from a low level, but then it goes down on an escalator. So like it's- No, no, it goes down on an escalator below that. Right. After the recession. But look at this pandemic. It was an elevator in both directions. Or do I, am I yeah. reading this wrong? Mm -hmm. No, because, it, well, you had to. It's it was a, fake. It's a, it was fake. If you look at every other time, okay. the rate of change to the downside is much slower than the rate of... Look at each low in the unemployment rate. It is right before Quick recession. to fire, slow to hire. Correct. No. And why? So, Backwards, though. No. No. Wait, what, say again? Slow to hire, quick, quick to, to fire. fire. Yeah. Okay. Right, right, right. Because think, think about margins. We talk a lot about margins like we actually know what we're doing. Okay, so margins... Um, I'm buying a, I bought a snowmobile up in, in uh, the Adirondacks. Did you get Polaris? No, I ended up getting a um, Ski-Doo. Okay. Man, fast. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. You have a need for speed. Uh, whoa. I can understand. <laughs> we're, we're jet ski guys. So. Right. I also snowmobile. Right. Snowmobile's more fun. More I fun. got the eight. Anyway, it's great. So um, now I lost my job. Okay. So I go into the guy and he's like, it's going to be, unfortunately, parts, supply chain, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be about 4% to 5% more. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, mm -hmm. I, you know, cause my earnings were good. Everything's good. Right. He can raise prices when the economy's fully employed and gaining employment because people like me are willing to pay it. That's right. The problem in margins, margins don't peak at a macro level because costs are going up. Margins peak because you can't cut costs fast enough when you have a revenue shortfall. Oh, so when the sales slow down, you still are stuck with those higher costs. You're stuck with it. Even if you lay somebody off, you got to pay them severance. That's right. Right? So especially outside the U.S. So the problem becomes you have this elevated cost structure that was built on – Guys, and especially sales. on Wall Street, yeah. think about six months or six, a year ago. Yeah. People are paying people bonuses just to come in to interview. You couldn't get anybody to come in. Yeah. So your cost structure totally is elevated at that level. And yeah. then you don't lay them off right away because you're like, well, this will get better sooner. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then when so you lay them right. off is when the revenue shortfall happens because you can't cut cost as fast as But also you drops. could like spend three years gradually adding people and then lay off three years worth of hires in in a month. And that's, that's how you get that. That's right. That's how you get that pattern. I think, that's right. I think there was like two and a half catalysts for the stock market to rally, whether we're talking about tech or the market, just whatever. I think it was um, the dollar falling was a tailwind, right? The dollar was a wrecking ball. The dollar ball. was 11% off its high. The dollar was a wrecking ball in 2022. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a combination of interest rates falling, which might be the same thing as stocks anticipating a Fed pause. So those, I think, were the first two and a half pillars. And then the third thing, which Josh and I keep talking about, 
was just people not being prepared for a rally and being really off sides. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at if you look at some of the things that performed best in the first quarter, it was things that had the shittiest 2022. So we've got some charts totally. here. Yep. John, if you please, one is from Bespoke, showing the different deciles. And Josh and I spoke about this and what are your thoughts? But it's just the opposite of what you would expect. Literally, the things that performed best in 2022 did worst mm -hmm. right over here. And the things that did worst did best. Another great visual. It's opposite day. It's That's the opposite, right. day. It's another, opposite day. Another great visual of this. John, next chart, please. This is a scatter plot. It's showing the same thing. Um, on the X, we've got the returns in 2022 from worst to best. Yeah. And on the Y, we've got 2023 Q1 returns. And it's very linear. I mean, this is a pretty good R-square. These are styles. Right this is like cyclicals, yeah, so bad by that. I mean, how many times do you interview yeah. somebody on, on CNBC or they come in like me and they, they come on and they present their stuff? And, you know... Because you don't want to look like an idiot, everybody had to be long energy going course. Out, coming out of the year. Value. You had to be long industrials because the big names are rallying and making new. It was everything mind. value. It's like window dressing, but not in a mutual fund context. Well, More like in a, goes back in to a what commentator it was context. The right. It was the opposite of window dressing. People had to catch up. People had to reposition. I think that fueled either short covering or rally or whatever. But it was they were trying to look right, Mike. That goes back to our original, even before we started the show. If you're trying to look right, you're going to have to chase your tail. So I think that's what happened. My point is I, I hate the phrase that easy money was made because it was the opposite. It was hard. But I feel like whatever fueled the rally, whatever sort of rally we had in Q1, I feel like that part of it is over. But that's why yeah. these things get exacerbated. Yeah. to Because it was repositioning. So, so like if you – if in January and February you were underweight tech, which sounded like the smart thing to be. Everyone was. Mm -hmm. And then those stocks worked. What are you doing in March? You're, you're buying Apple. You're buying Microsoft. You have to. You don't have a choice because and, you can't. And so that, your so that reinforces that nascent trend and turns it into something bigger. Until you just run out of that, like you ran out of buyers of energy. Yep. You ran out of buyers of industrials. Let's, you, you know. let's go to the CNI bank lending standards. Uh, okay, this is a great chart. Yeah, I want to talk okay, about so this. Okay, so this is prior to Silicon Valley Bank. This is a senior loan officer survey that comes out of the Federal Reserve. You can go to their site and get it. You don't need to take my word for it. Um, the chart on the top is the large and small businesses commercial and industrial lending standards. So if you're either a huge company or a small company and you're going to the bank for a loan, to make a commercial and industrial project or whatever you're going to yeah. use it for. When that line is going up, it means lending standards are tightening. So that arrow and that that reading is pre-Silicon Valley Bank. You've So you know that got worse. I, I know it because talk to I, – I love to talk to my neighbors. The last people people should talk to is me. They should talk to their neighbors and ask, how's business? Yeah. I, had a bu I have a buddy who's a, com uh, a commercial real estate guy, does um, real estate investment. He's been at a small bank for 20 years, millions of dollars. How much is he drinking now? <laughs> no, no. I mean, he 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 asked them for their their yeah. money, right? And yeah. they're they're hesitant now yeah. after Silicon Valley Bank. You have a worst case scenario for these banks. They're losing their deposits, their source of funding. So their cost of funding is going up and the yield curve's already inverted. Yep. And so, and the borrowers are less are less interested. Right. And how do you know? Look at the bottom chart. That's the loan demand on those loans. Okay, so you have loan demand falling, you have lending standards tightening. There's no way if this is the the current state of small and mid and and mid-sized banks, what's like really happening? Yeah. There's no way we get out of this without something if it's not a technical recession, it feels like one. Yeah, and that's and that's what the data shows. That's the again, the lending standards. What could reverse this, Tony? Fed drops rates huge. That's the only thing. Like overnight 1%. The bull story here, Josh. The bear story, the worst case scenario in my view is a soft landing.
Because it keeps the yield curve inverted for how long? Forever? Yeah, and we stay that way. Right? I know it's awful to say, but you need a recession. You need a credit cycle to get the next cycle going. You need the Fed. Listen, six weeks ago. What if we're just I'm being number- chat, not just as a, you know, people are thinking I'm out of my mind even more than normal because I was saying that the Fed had already raised rates 100 basis points too much. And they're like, you're out of your mind. You got to fight inflation because of initial unemployment claims. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. right? Right. So, Literally, I'm saying they, they should have stopped 100 basis points ago. Okay. The two-year note yield drops from a, four, uh, a 504 to a 377. Yeah. That's 125 basis so points. So the market agrees with you. You have to have the Fed drop rates fast enough and hard enough that it makes a positive um, yield curve and it incents banks to lend. But uh, what if they don't and we're in economic purgatory? That's the worst case scenario. That's how long a can you be economy. in an inverted? How long can you be in an inverted yield curve? Can you go three years that way? I, it never has. Never has. I mean, uh, you've had you've had years where you've had in the Volcker period. So when I got, I was on in February, and, and the title was turbulence ahead. And yeah. you guys know my view. I've been you, you crushed, know, you I, crushed it. With I that used call. to be. I used. To, I'm a permable. I had somebody stop me on the street the other day. Enough with the doom and gloom, right? So anyway, um, <laughs> I'm a perma bear when there's no money. Right. Um, the the problem that we have is when I think of, of a common sense approach to this thing, I'm trying to figure out how the Dwyer family is going to have more money. My income's not going up. Wall Street isn't booming. Yeah. Right. Uh, banks are tightening their lending standards and the markets are blah. Yeah. So where are you going to get that? You need an increased amount of money to spend. So guys, why did why does the market bottom? I get this question a lot. How come the market bottoms in the middle of a recession? Because the Fed drops rates enough that you steepen the yield curve enough that you can have you know that money availability is going to improve. Right? right? You know it is. And then stocks sniff and, that and out. And allow it allows you to look through that. Uh, did I give you guys the money supply chart? That's a great chart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if we have that. What? So. Oh, we do. Okay. Okay. Cuz what you're going to see on here is um, when it comes up, is money supply for the first time post-World War II has gone negative year over year. I think it was three months ago. This is the chart. Great chart. So it's now minus 2.35%. It's never been negative before. But then, you know, so the money availability is obviously not there. Now, if I were a rational person, I'd say, duh, it went up more than it ever has before. Obviously. So what do we do as American consumers and businesses? Wait, Tony, back up. The money supply, just explain this, people. The money supply exploded deliberately yeah. because the Treasury and the Fed working together and all these government programs yeah. all hit within an 18-month window. Like whoosh. And it was just money for businesses, money for regular people, money for unemployed, money for employed, just everyone. Any, everybody got money. And then, I don't know, 100 different programs, money for hospitals, money for this. Okay. So that happened. That was very deliberate. That's how you get this spike here. What do these numbers mean? These so the spike, it's year over year since 1960. So the money, money supply, supply up 25% year over yeah. year in one year. In one year, which and, has never happened before. Uh, and even the big spikes are more like 10% historically. Yeah, not even. I so mean, yeah, so like off the charts that nobody's ever seen anything like it. So what what happens with that money supply? My buddy Mike Dardick did a great job on this during the time because I didn't actually think that inflation was going to be as bad as it got. And he did because the explosion of money supply. The money supply move that went up so much, Josh, what do we do when they we get give it money. to Tiger. We spend we it. We give it to Bitcoin. <laughs> well, that's I some mean, that's people what did. we did. I bought snowmobiles personally. Mike, you know, I don't know if Mike bought one, but I, you know. My 13-year-old started doing venture capital. Like that's, <laughs> that's what, no, that's like the, yeah, we all bought my, toys. Um, everybody used the money. Whether it's invest it or spend it, the money got out. Got I refined moved. twice. I should have had second, more. And the second time I put money out of my house. In retrospect, right, okay, I should have had more fun. 
You should have. Yeah. You come snowmobiling. So, us. Tony, do you do you put any any uh, merit into the stats like this? There, there's been it looks like 13 quarters since I guess 1950 where the S and P was up five percent or more in Q1, and 11 times it was higher in Q2. Does that matter to you? Momentum at all? Yeah, that you know the momentum is there. The problem that I have is, yeah, you can't rationalize the indicators. There's great, so there's going to be somebody epically wrong here. Just on, on the money supply. <laughs> yeah, go back to that. So what the, happens now? So the money supply, people would say it's going down because it went up so much. But what created the inflation that we have was we spent the money. It's gone. We spent it, or we invested it. But it's does, not sitting in the. But account. wait, what? But what about? So everyone was talking about this that this was the most telegraph recession of all time. If we get one. And I think everybody agrees that we will. And corporations did a really good job binging on credit in 2021 and 2022. So they're flush. We know what happened with consumers. Now, obviously, they're running mm-hmm. out of it. And that's that data right there, Mike. That's the data on money supply. You cannot spend it. But when you say you they have. spent it, but there's a velocity of money. So if I spend it in your business, yeah. you now have it profits that you will spend. Well, you bought it good, and then that, then they reinvest that and build right. a new plant or do whatever they do when the company takes that money in. But the supply is shrinking regardless is your point. That, yeah. It's you, very, it's, remember, growth comes from new money going in. You've, you've got to have a replenishment and expansion of the money. Otherwise, if, you have, if you're making the same amount of money, you're not borrowing any more money, you're spending. You you got to have new money to grow more than that. There's got to be a source of capital. How long does it take, in your opinion, for a 25% year-over-year explosion of the money supply to get worked off? It's happening now. It could be very quick. Oh, really? It could happen. I, like, I don't think this is going to We don't be... have to have, like, a stag- stagnant decade no. to work that off. Dude, we, we raised rates. So I got... So going back, I'm, I'm jumping around, but in February, we had the... Turbulence, that's nice. It's nice to be right once in a while. Um, but when I really got cautious when Jerome Powell mentioned Paul Volcker's name because he made it clear that that might be necessary and he would be willing to do it. And what Paul Volcker did is he inverted the yield curve on purpose to create a recession to shut down double-digit inflation. Here's the problem. We've raised rates faster than Paul Volcker did when he did it, you were at a generational low of government debt to GDP. It was, we're, not, it was, we're, not, we're not in that in situation the, today. I think it was 42%. Today, we're at 137. I have a theory we're that Volcker also high. killed disco. <laughs> I don't I think, know where just, to go Can you think about it, though? Just think about it. <laughs> so, Tony, it's all, the parties, all the parties ended when he inverted what? the yield. Was that 81? Yeah. yeah. That was the, that was <laughs> that the was end of disco. I think he like he really saved not only the economy but music. I just I wanted to put that out there. What's I can very, tell you that the dwarf. I'm not allowed to sing and dance, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. It's a social rule. Okay, they come out enough. of the, They come out of the. The government has you mandated. Studio I'm 54 not allowed. With my parents. I'm not allowed to sing and dance. Okay. Tony, I think I, th- I think you're going to like this data from <laughs> Warren Pies, who was a guest on our show. He does great work. He's showing uh, a six bun- six month post bottom. So if the S&P bottomed in October and he went and looked at what happened every time six months later, this would be the weakest bounce. The one that we're in now. The one that we're in now. So we're up 10% six months after the lows. On S&P. The average, I don't know what the average is, but we've got 34, 42, 13, 27, 32, 12, 47, 24, and 52. Those are are six months post every bottom. So the next chart does a really great job visualizing this. Next chart, please, John. 
this would be unprecedented. Now, one other thing that they've never done, he We're said- pushing John to the limit. Sorry, today. sorry, 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 John. He said, until, until last October, stocks have never bottomed in a hike phase. And we are in, still, oh, we've this. been in a hiking phase. So the black uh, uh, line shows- And what kind, oh, bear market bottoms. Okay, yeah. that, that removes the 1994- Which, Tony, would, would support what you're saying is that if, if October was low, it would be the weakest bounce after six months ever. Which I think, which I think, like, uh, strengthens your point that it's unlikely that that was the bottom. Well, it, unlikely or likely, Josh, it'd be historically unique. Yeah, like you've never everything done about it. now is historically unique. The, well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there are things that are working, like the BKX. It's like the asterisk era. It, it's just one of those things where maybe the asterisk isn't that it's the totally made different. The way? It's just more levered. Yeah. Maybe it's more extreme. So, you know, like the money supply always spikes coming out of a recession. It was more extreme. The money supply has never gone negative. It's more extreme. So what? It, so somehow we're going to have this magical soft landing, this, this nice landing where there's going to be no inflation and full employment when we've never raised rates faster into the most levered system in a generation. I just, something always, and we've talked about it on air, something always breaks. And you just don't know what it is. Oh, it was Silicon Valley Bank broke. Well, you know, and let's put that on a shelf and, and think about what's the Silicon Valley Bank is going to make the government ask other banks, have you marked to market? Well, we know they haven't. That, not just on government debt. How about private mm. debt, private credit, private equity, venture? Oh, forget about and it. All that. And it's not the banks. They're not the investors. They're the providers. The investors right. are pension plans, endowment funds. and th So, you know, if this actually is a credit cycle, it's the most levered credit cycle with the most rising. And so you ready for this, guys? This is going to blow your mind. That's the bull story. Why? We're 15 months into this. Mm. This stuff doesn't happen at the beginning. It happens toward the end. So our, our, we advise institutions and wealth management around the world. Our, our phrase is we, we want to be light and tight. We want to be light in exposure to be able to take advantage of weakness versus betting on it. Because, you know, you guys manage money. When you're on the – let's say you're really bearish and the market's going down. Most people press their bet a little bit. Like well, I'm they get right. more emboldened because yeah. the, they're getting confirmation every day. Right. So I, right. I think the final leg lowers when you're in that recession and you're going to make the low. So I want to attack the next move. Low. So here, look it's at this. It's going to feel worse, though. Look at this. So I yeah. did a post of course it because I just had Nick make this. So what we're looking at here is the number of months before and after ISM drops below 50. And so this is the S&P 500, the average S&P 500 returns. You could see, so this is month zero when it first drops below 50. Okay. Leading up to that, stocks suck. And in a 12-month period, stocks usually go up, right? So they don't go up prior to the ISM dropping below 50, which is intuitive because that means that the economy is contracting. But look what happens around six, seven, eight months after the ramp. After it first. That's the recovery phase. So okay. you're 100% right. If we're closer to the end. We're closer to the end. Let me, let like me the see Fed, this. The Fed lowers rates when the unemployment rate goes up. It's In a democratic system, when elections are every two years in Congress, the last thing you want to do is see a monster spike in unemployment. You sound cautiously year. bullish. I'm, I'm not positive. <laughs> Let's Looking put up to this take book, advantage uh, of that. John, that cautiously bullish. People levered like era, like, pivot, not a pre-recession buy signal. So I think this is what you're getting you're getting at, uh, Tony. 
the only time the pivot was a buy signal was when there wasn't a recession coming. Correct. Which was in 1995. Yeah. Okay. So walk us through what we're looking at and here. And it, it, it takes to debate. 1995 was a tightening cycle. But if you look at 1989, 2001, um, two, 2007, and 2019, you're in, you got to bounce, whether it was very short term or a little longer from the Fed pivoting. But it was telling you you're about to go into recession. So how do you know you're in a recession? So if everything's based on the market's never bottomed before a recession, it's 23.5 weeks is the data, just so you know. Um, what, between the, the start of, of a recession? recession? Okay. No, from the start of the recession to when the S&P bottoms. Oh, wow. I can tell you the week. That's, a, you know, I've done the work. So how do you know when the recession begins? And the answer is when the Fed pivots, you know, and the, and the yield curves turn positive that's when you're about to enter recession. Also, when the we're going to get the unemployment rate um, tomorrow, tomorrow, and when the unemployment rate historically is averages 50 basis points higher than the low of the cycle, you're in a recession. It's called the SOM rule. She hates the fact 50 that, basis points. So 3.9 percent. That's Josh, for an average of three months. You know you're in a recession. Okay, so why? Because that's fifty basis points above three point four. Yeah, yeah, that's just. This, I say. So by the time by the time this comes out, the numbers will be out. Oh, not necessarily. Depends what well, time you wake like up. Like if you get, let's say, we've got three point six percent in the last month. Let's say it jumps to four, just for giggles. I'm not calling for that. You know it's trending there. Right. Well, like, that's you know that the Fed is about to ease because they don't want the just the jolt survey and the revisions to the unemployment claims and some of the ISM data. Has interest rates going down and everybody's talking about Fed cuts? So how yeah. do you think the stock market would react to bad data tomorrow I, if we get bad so, data? So you said I'm, I might I sound cautiously optimistic. I'm 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 not. cautiously I'm bullish. Cautious, cautiously bullish. I'm just cautious be, until you get that negative data. You have to have the time when bad news becomes bad news, and it's a popular thing now for people like me to come on TV and say bad news to be. We've been saying it for the last six months. Yeah, that's the end of a decline is when bad news becomes bad, bad news yeah. because it makes the Fed get aggressive. What do you they think? Lower interest do? rates, steepen the yield curve. The outlook for money improves. That it, this it, it's not a quant program. It's not an algorithm I or think, an educational Tony, thing. Tony, I think the it's thing money. that happened this week, though, is that the the baton has been handed. So up until now, the baton amongst the people who are worried is inflation. Correct. Even though, to your point, we know inflation statistically peaked, it's still the thing, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay. I think this is the week, and I'm just going by yields and going by commentary. This is the week the baton was officially handed to the, economy? To the bad news is bad news crowd. Yeah, and agreed. And now I want to I want to use that exquisite segue to get into the reason why. And I guess we're talking about credit, but like specifically, the thing that's in everyone's face is the banks. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the banks are most exposed to um, is commercial lending, commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't know what the hell to do with this. Same week, uh, commercial real estate. UBS says, "Don't worry about it." Morgan Stanley says it's going to be worse than 2008. That's like li literally this. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what they said. And then I want I wanted to get, I've been waiting all week to ask you this. <laughs> I, want, uh -oh. I want to get your take on this. It's a very, very big segment of it's a huge deal. borrowed money. It's, it's half the small mid-sized banks. It's like half of their loans. Okay. Uh, UBS. Uh, an expected credit crunch on the back of rising cost of funding for banks may further compound its troubles. Uh, meaning commercial real estate, uh, said the chief investment officer of the Americas at UBS. Uh, however, 
In our view, while the risks in CRE have certainly increased, it does not pose a wider systemic risk. Here's Morgan Stanley, same day. MS and co analysts forecast a peak to trough CRE price decline of as much as 40% worse than in the great financial crisis, Lisa Shallot said in the weekly Global Investment Committee note, more than, quote, more than 50% of the 2.9 trillion in commercial mortgages will need to be renegotiated in the next 24 months when new lending rates are likely to be up by 350 to 450 basis points. Shallot flagged an outsized risk to regional banks, um, given small and medium-sized banks hold 80% of U.S. commercial real estate debt. Nearly $450 billion in commercial real estate debt is due to mature in 2023. So that sounds like concerning, but then there are people saying, don't worry about it. It, it moves really slowly. It's glacial. It's not a shock to the system. What, what, what do you, how do you answer this question? It, I, I say that since obviously nobody knows, there would just be a stat and we'd all quote it. So my feeling on it is let's put the systemic risk up on a shelf. Let's say it's not. I don't know. Like in, back in, in 2008, I was pretty negative that my buddies from the big short, you know, from Front Point had guided me through that. They were awesome. Um, so the problem is that back then there was CDS. There was derivatives off of the problem. I don't know that that's true with commercial real estate. Clearly, there's too much leverage there and the banks have big exposure. But you don't have to be worried about the market or the economy because of systemic risk, Josh. The way that I've been pursuing is let's put that on a shelf. It's just the implication it's going to make for lending availability. If enough people are worried about it, it has an energy all to itself. It already has. It already it, has. It started day one. That's it's where the, the lending human standards nature. spike comes from. Correct. So, so the, this is human nature. This I'm a political science major, right? But the, it's what happens when you go into the onset of a banking crisis. Think of Bear Stearns in 2008, right? Okay, the, they saved it. Yeah. CDS crashed. Yeah. Credit acted Thank better. Thank God that's over. Thank God. <laughs> right? And the market rallied big. Yeah. Credit rallied big. Yeah. But it wasn't over. That was the beginning. It was the onset. The psychology of how these things work is, oh my God, the system's going to fail. The BKX is down 12% in three days. That's a signal we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. And then the Fed or somebody somehow comes in and saves the day. And you're like, oh, thank God. And it's that that feeling of relief, the yeah, psychology of relief. And then you get the tentacle, which I'm more concentrated on, Josh, which is what are gonna what are banks gonna do with this new environment? It ain't helping it. They're not gonna lend. And they don't even have interest rates going in the direction. Typically, when you're in a banking crisis, at least you have the rates Fed helping you. They're already falling aggressively. Let me throw let me show this to you. Yes. So we don't have the stat. So in its place, we don't know what's going on with these loans at small and mid-sized banks all over America. The closest thing we have is CMBS. Okay. Yeah. John, give me this uh, Wall Street Journal chart. This is CMS, uh, CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed securities, triple B, spread blowing out over U.S. treasuries. This yeah. is Wall Street Journal, I think, today. Is it okay? Let me quote this. As of Tuesday or this week, the average extra yield or spread above U.S. treasuries that investors were demanding to hold CMBS with a triple B rating, that's the lowest broad investment grade tier, was 9.46 percentage points. Um, that was up from 7.6% at the end of February and approaching the 10.8% level reached in March 2020 when local authorities were issuing stay-at-home orders. The average price of the bonds has dropped to around 75 cents on the dollar 
a year ago it was 89 cents. So this is it. Like this is your, mm -hmm. it's, this is about, this index comprises 9% of all of the loans, uh, commercial mortgage backed loans. So it's a, it's a slice of that whole market, yeah. but we can't see that whole market. We have this that we can yeah. see. Could it be exaggerated? Maybe, but we're now at the same level we were at in March of 2020 when it looked like we would never need an office building again. That bothers me. And it's how you got the same relative performance chart of the Russell 2000 because those are the businesses that are borrowing and have commercial yes. real estate. Uh, one more vacancy rate, downtown offices. Look at this <laughs> shit. <laughs> would you buy that chart? I would. <laughs> Right. If that if that were if that were a stock, you'd buy it. It's a, it's uh, like, yeah, vacancy rate in downtown offices is 17 and a half percent. And for perspective, during the 2009, uh, I guess we had an economic meltdown. Mm -hmm. The worst it got was 13 and a half percent. Pre pandemic, it's, it's, it's it was 11 percent. It's a mess. So this seems troublesome to me. And it seems like an area that stock market investors Buddy, like myself mess. haven't had to worry that much about That's over the right. years. And, and, Unless yeah. you're a real estate investor. Well, I'm not, so. Well, but but then it's all the same thing, guys, because it all comes down to businesses that are trying to cut costs faster than the revenues are falling. Yeah. And so as long as unemployment's at a low and things are all good and people are making money and willing to spend and take out credit card debt and household credit, you're good. And that that's not happening right now. Right. So what happens when you spend less money at businesses, more real estate problems come into play and they have to figure out a way around that. So, you know, again, what what makes you. Well, wait a minute. These built. But so th then these buildings get handed back to the banks and the banks have to sell them and they're not because there's no buyer. And that's where you get the real credit crunch. That's right. When, well, when the, the real credit cr crunch comes when pension plans start selling credit because they're. They're in illiquid well, we're not there. We're not quite there yet. No. Okay. All right. That would that would be even more troublesome. Right. Like, okay. well, let's say you're let's say you're a pension plan. You got to make seven percent a year. What do you think they did when the highest part of fixed income, highest yielding part of fixed income, was giving them three and three quarters percent? Yeah. <laughs> right. They're levering the hell out of it. Right. Or they're going. How do you do it? You do a private equity or private credit. So you're in illiquid instruments. You still got to do your 7% a year. So now you just took down your stock portfolio 15% if you held on throughout the whole, right? Your bond portfolio came down just about as much. So now you still got to pay that 7%. Right. And your private equity and venture and all the other stuff is probably not giving you 12%. Right. So you're in a On paper, it used to. We're right. in the discovery process, which is, to, to Mike's point, you sound cautiously bullish. I am not bullish until we get that drop. So I, I don't want to. I want to go back to one chart that, that we missed earlier. Uh, this is, again, from Warren Pies. He, he, he had this great chart showing S&P 500 earnings per share, which we haven't discussed yet, and what happens during the hiking cycle, when they pause, and when they cut. And intuitively, maybe counterintuitively, S&P 500 earnings per share continue to go up through the hiking cycle. Why? Because the economy is overheating and the market, the Fed you is trying- You can pass along the cost. Yeah, the, and the Fed, is, tr the Fed is trying to bring it down. Okay, when the S&P, when, when the Fed pauses, still you see an upward bias towards earnings per shares. By the time the Fed is cutting, things are generally not great. That's when earnings really start coming down. Yeah, like, it's a recession. They, they panic because there's a recession and then they start. So yeah. we're not there yet. No. It's you're, too early. Yeah. It's too early. So now I could be epically wrong, but if I'm epically wrong, all the macro indicators are epically wrong and they're totally different and you throw them out the window. I feel because like it's just there's too many unique occurrences. So it's, it's, it's hard to be bullish for all of the reasons that we're discussing, right? Stocks aren't cheap. 
they have com- competition and bonds. The economy is, is not uh, expanding. Um, but also, it's hard to be too bearish, I think, given that everyone is bearish. I don't think I hear that a lot. I don't know that everybody's bearish. You don't because think everybody's bearish? I think everybody says everybody, think Twitter, everybody, I think Twitter is bearish, and I think no, TV dude, is bearish. Everybody yeah, in your everybody in your seat is bearish. Which strategists are expecting earnings per share to go up or the multiples Belsky. to go up? Besides Rebelsky, Tom well, Lee. Uh, well, so let's let's. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment though. on other guys. So so my number is two hundred and ten dollars. A share for that would share. not be catastrophic. No, that's a mid single digit loss. It's going to be worse than that, but let's just say it's 200. Okay, my earn it that means that the earnings yield from when we started this show is about 4.75 percent. Okay, not right. much so, higher than 10. Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's a lie. It's the earnings yield is 5.1 percent based on the current price of the SP divided by 210. On a six month T bill on the decline, you're getting four and three quarters, so you're only getting paid 50 basis points. To take risk. that risk yeah. in an elevated market with great. all the commercial real estate <laughs> and all the great. other issues that you get. Yeah. So, but but it all comes down to the only thing that really bottoms out a market and allows you to look forward after a rate hike cycle is an outlook that the money can improve. That happens from getting a new job and a raise. We're already at full employment. It happens when the Fed is easing aggressively. They have yet Not to yet. do so. Right. And when banks are lending more, we still have an inverted yield curve. So that's not going to happen either. Right. So that's So the why. legs of the stool are not under the stool. Any. There, there aren't any. There, aren't there are no legs. I agree. But this You're is, floating this, on the water. These are expected earnings. But that's the good that – ultimately, I'm sorry, guys. Go ahead. No, no, but finish. that's the good news. Like, I, that, I we're getting remind, there. We're, we're getting, getting there. there. I agree. We're 15 months into this. Well, yeah. here's another hour in the quiver. We're getting there. Finally, analyst expectations, they continue yeah. to come down. Why do you down. have these secret charts in I, your pocket? I, I, forgot, you, I forgot to put those in the doc. They continue to come down. So now expected earnings growth decline for the first quarter. I'm sorry, decline is uh, is 6%. So they're getting there. They're getting there. Last question. What the hell are international stocks thinking? Because these are incredible charts. Europe, uh, like there are massive, massive rallies all over the developed world. Away from the U.S., are they? Is that the, are they living in an alternate dollar, reality? Maybe that's the dollar drop. I, I well, it's gotta, I, that's got to be mean, part of it. Truly, yeah. truly, Josh, I can't figure that one out. I can't either. Like there's but some it's wild real. things. Like for example, this is I don't remember when gold and Bitcoin. Remember all the conversations oh, of whether gold stuff. So gold and there were so many conversations on TV and, and among the investment community about why is Bitcoin replacing gold? Yes, but they were inversely correlated. Yeah. Bitcoin was just as acting as a risk asset. And this isn't a recommendation. I'm not allowed to do either one. Um, But now they're correlated, which is interesting when the dollar's going down and the markets are under pressure. Yes. So that may have a tie to money flowing into Europe on a weaker dollar, which isn't being perceived as as a safety net. It's gold, which is- Bitcoin is up 50% this year-ish. Is it? Do I have that right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it it happened to have bottomed right at the end of the year. But uh, uh, gold is- Pretty much whatever what's on everyone's lips right yeah, now, yes. of course, at a, so, it's at a record high. Let's see, like you know, it's like I energy know. coming into the year. I know. Mean, seriously, but but I could have it, a ways to go though, because just from my own experience, like when gold gets going yeah. in one direction or the other, it takes a while. There's there's enough things in this game. It's okay. You're good at this. I don't know. It's very confusing. There's yeah. I can't find a way to get bullish, but it's very confusing. I don't need to make a big downside bet. I just need to not have a big upside bet because I don't know. The problem in our business is people make 
investments on other people's advice. And when it goes against them, they don't have the intestinal fortitude to hold it. Because it was not their idea. It to wasn't begin with. their idea. So I agree my, with that. my point is I, I have this fundamental thesis based on money that doesn't change because of the S and P goes up or down two percent. It changes when the availability of money for my household or my business changes. And it hasn't. All right. The Fed does its first, not the pause, the cut. Let's say it's sometime in the second half of this year. Things have gotten bad enough by then. Inflation has moderated enough. So then you, in your mind, you say, okay, this isn't the bottom. We Get know ready. that historically, but eighth inning. And there's going to be fireworks, by the way, in the ninth oh, inning. buddy, I'm going to be early. I, I'm going to get creamed. I'm no, going to be early, and I'm going to be so Some crazy excited, thing is going to happen dude. in the ninth inning, but that will be the actual I'm bottom. I'm getting excited. I, I remember when I joined Canaccord It's better early than never. Some people never get bullish. I think it was in 2011. I looked at the team there, and I said it was during that crisis in 2011, and I said, you may never get this opportunity in your life again to buy stocks at this valuation with this kind of and they, backdrop. And they booed you. And Yeah, you look <laughs> like an idiot because the market that. went down right away. <laughs> like, you know, if I'm doing my job right, and I think this is really important for the people that are listening, that, that watch TV and listen to people like us, if we're doing our job right, I want to be wrong for a little while so people can take advantage of the call. Thank you for saying that. Right? I'm not supposed to. I don't give it shit. Very Sorry, much I shouldn't be. My compliance department is going to get mad. I've, doing, I've done this now for 36 years. If my ego's involved and I need to look right anymore, I got a bigger problem than what my market opinion I is. I, lo I love that mentality. Hey, uh, so Bill Ackman uh, opened up ChatGPT, and the prompt was, write me the worst tweet in history. And... Uh, I'm going to read you what came out a day after the below. He, he did a tweet with a stork throwing a baby out of the nest because it was disabled. So it could feed the other babies. And he wrote capital allocation. So that didn't go over well. So he said a day after the below tweet, I found what I thought was a dead bird lying on its back, which had apparently hit a window. And then he tells the story he's with his daughter and they nurse it back to health with fruit juice using a small spoon. And it opened its eyes and it said, uh, I love you, Bill. And it flew off 90 minutes later. And then he said, helping a small creature survive is an incredibly moving experience, particularly alongside a child. If you are given such an opportunity, I would encourage you to take advantage of it. This goes in my never tweet folder. And I like Bill. I'm a Bill Ackman fan. Uh, I think he's, I think he's like one of the most interesting people in the industry. This is very weird. This is as strange of a thing for somebody to tweet as I Dude. could really come up with. You Wait, and I you came off that? Twitter, I think, at the have right Have I never nursed a baby bird back to health and then tweeted about it? No, I never. How that's about one you of the just do I the missed. next right thing and l let the results be what the results are going to be? Josh, you and I, I believe, stopped tweeting crazy. at the this same time. So at the same time, I think you and I independently, I don't know, I'm off Twitter. Right, like I'll be three years uh, Memorial Day, but nobody's counting. I, I nobody, nobody you and I me. did it at the same time because yeah. I, I was getting off fast money, going through Times Square, almost dying because I'm looking at the phone, and people are beating the piss out of me on Twitter, and I'm like, wait you a disagree second, disagree with them? They don't pay me. I'll never meet them, <laughs> and they're not very nice. Yeah. So what exactly that, am I that, doing? Here? Other Nothing. than that, yeah. so I don't do any social media. I don't right. feel the need for anybody to really give a crap what my I'm doing in my life. Good the for only you. people I care about that my friends, my wife, my kids, and my close family. Will you tweet a link to this episode though? <laughs> I would, if, I, if I could tweet, if I could tweet it. Well, I would. listen, I got to tell you something. Um, one of the things that I figured out about that is that if you have self-respect, then you will whatever social media you use. 
you will put yourself in a position where you can interact with people that actually care that's what right. you have to say. And so that's how you end up really liking YouTube, for example. Our audience is amazing. Like we it's met, amazing. Dunk, Duncan says this morning, we have a super fan in town from Australia. Yeah. And he, flew, he flew from Australia and we were like on his list of things. You've got to deal uh, with that. Met him, met him in Bryant Park today. Oh yeah, you did. What a sweetheart of, yeah, of, of a guy. Like, But that's like creating, an, an, creating a situation where you can be on social media, but there are like some guardrails. That's right. You have the ability to get rid of people who are there for the wrong reason. Well, I, I remember somebody said to me at some point, um, we'll hold you accountable. Here's, here, that even here's, what, here's who holds me accountable. God. IRS. Wife. No, <laughs> I don't even care about that. God, wife, kids, friends, done. Yeah. Oh, my company. My yeah. company. I'm held accountable by the people that are in my life, not about people I don't know. I, I, and, and God, I, hell yeah, you get together with that YouTube person. You could, you're going to make a story for them. Our yeah. job is to make a story, educate them, and help them with their life and process. Fully agree. So I think like LinkedIn is, is a great platform. If there's somebody who's there for the wrong reason, you get rid of them. Like it, it's really important that you don't do and say things about your market opinions in such a way that you're couching your views because you're worried about what you know the yeah. the, the mob is gonna is gonna. But like, you know, I have a very strong opinion about this next thing. You don't get to mistreat me, yeah, under any circumstance ever. Right. I mean, it's it's got to be the way. That's the end that, of the sentence. It's got to be the way <laughs> right. that, that you carry yourself. I right. agree with that. Can we talk a little bit about uh, AI? What do you? You must you must have uh, you must have some thoughts about all the excitement around this. Not not stock picks, but like you must have thoughts about the investing and the economic implications if this is really going to be the wave. Yeah, like, you know, my kids my kids did it about me, which I, th I thought was pretty funny. But you know, and it was pretty accurate. What they so, did a Chat GPT. Yeah, like tell me, me about Tony Dwyer. Uh, like, tell me Dwyer. about Tony Dwyer. Yeah, and I actually liked it. So I was like, okay. you know, I'll blow that up somehow. But um, but what it comes down to is it, it's I'm wondering. So here's what I'm wondering: like in the far resources of my mind, nobody expected the internet to be what it was in 1994 and 1995. Yeah. And my thinking is, I wonder if chat GPT and AI, not chat GPT, I don't know anything about it. If AI is that, is that that next? I think it is. Technological revolution that acts like an industrial revolution. And it has dislocation things like you don't tell me about the market when the yield curve inverts. Goodbye, Tony Dwyer job. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I, people still know. don't know what to do with that, though. Yeah, yeah. And by yeah. the way, that's actually the most disappointing feature of ChatGPT is that I think this is on purpose. They're throttling the data that they're making available when people right? ask investment or financial questions. So I was doing a bunch of stuff with it over the weekend, and every data source ends in September 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so if you that. ask it questions like yeah, that, yeah, for yeah. example, I think they don't want to be held responsible for what could be construed as financial advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like AI, like, you know, open season, yeah. do or say that whatever you want. That made me think of an earlier thing when you said, uh, when Mike said, it's the most forecasted recession of all time. Put that into a search with a date 2007, with a date of 1989, with a date of 2000. People and were making that comment Same then? exact comment. Really? Do it. Don't trust me. So people in two – oh, I remember like Larry Kudlow was like, recession? Dude, dude everybody's yeah, – yeah, yeah. human nature is very consistent. 
Okay. Right? Everybody, each time you think it's it's the most forecasted recession of all time. And it is, frankly, like it is every cycle. So uh, the CEO of Google gave a, an interview to the Wall Street Journal this morning talking about how serious they're about to get with AI. And basically, they've siloed it up until now. Mm -hmm. They have like two big AI units, and they had nothing to do with the products that we actually use. Right. And so that's what's going to change. So the next time you do a Google search, you might see a little chatbot there say, is this what you're looking for? Can I help you? It's amazing. Like what? So that's all That's see, that, all like the next thing that's that we're going to start to think about live producti with. Productivity and the productivity revolution. Technology only exponentially improves itself with speed. Right, a boat during the Industrial Revolution could only go so fast and carry so much. Same with a plane, even today. Technology exponentially improves itself with speed. So the faster it gets, the faster it gets. So it's great cancer, you know, medical applications and biotech. What happened with um, the pandemic? Like these things came out very quickly because of technology. The downside is it's it's going to be a very dislocating function. Just like it was, you know, like Home Depot was for the local hardware store. Yeah, it's going to dislocate employment. But except this is that, but for every industry all at once. Correct, and it, that's yeah. what's different, and that's what the internet was. That's right. And that's what wireless phones were. That's right. Like this feels like a moment like that for it, me. It does for me too. So does that protect maybe the downside of the commercial real estate and some of the other things like that? Does that keep you in a 1995 scenario? I, I don't. Well, it's disinflationary for, I, start, for starters. Did I not give you guys the conference board comps leading economic indicators chart? No, we have it. You, can I pull that up just yeah, for giggles? I would love you to. Just for, this is a really good way to close tell us this. What, tell us what you mean. Tell us what they mean by leading economic indicators. Yeah. What's in here? It's credit indicators, lending indicators, stock market. It's all the, it's the conference board has a whole bunch of indicators that lead you into knowing whether the economy is going to go up or down. This data point goes back to 1960, provided by Bloomberg. So I, I, I've been hearing a lot about the soft landing. Um, eventually, listen, you know, how do you know a pilot and, and, you know, a group of a thousand people? How? You don't have to guess. They'll tell you. So I'm a pilot. Okay. Right. Like okay. I can't make a soft landing. You <laughs> right. got to land at some point, right. dude. <laughs> you, you, you need gas. Right? right. And money is gas. So anyway, comp conference board composite leading economic indicators. That green line is where they pull back to in a soft landing. 2016-17. We're already through that. 19. We're anytime you've been at the red line, which is where we are today, you have a red shaded area. Every economic indicator is pointed to the same thing, more or less. So that's my point that, you know, when you haven't had time to disprove the soft landing. What's the only way that you can disprove a soft landing? Time. When you're in Six a recession. And then, oh, you got to be in the you recession. Say, oh, I guess it wasn't a soft landing after that's right. all. That's Every, okay. right. So, so how do you know? So I look back and note the three periods of 1966, 1995, 96, 19, or 2016, 17, those periods of soft landing didn't have yield curve inversions. The conference board leading economic indicators weren't here and the lending standards weren't as tight. So our call is just that, you know, based on the data, we're going into recession. You can almost say turbulence ahead part two. <laughs> Turbulence ahead leading to one hell of an opportunity. And I want to stand I'm with right you on to that. Attack. Tony, last question. Are I'm not going to get bearish 15 months into this. Again, I want to be early, Josh. This is when I got to lean forward because I get excited. The wrong thing to do here yes, is start right. betting big I'm, on the I'm downside. With you. Like, let, let, spot me 10%. So 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 maybe we're ten percent or you know, away from yeah. as bad as it gets. Tony, uh, give me it, that. Is it a recession, yeah, right? Are we in a recession today? Yeah, pretty close to it. Yeah, okay. 
Like right. if it, Good way to end. It, it happens pretty quick. Like you get a guy that's trying to open up a, a refi, a retail debt at under a five hundred thousand. That his local bank, who's always giving him money, won't happening. do it. You're in a you're in a recession when when it's like um, you can't spend what. And I, I'd love to leave the listeners with this: you cannot spend what you don't have. So if you're already at full employment, banks not giving you the money, and the financial markets aren't surging, you've got to find a new source of money. And the only thing that does that is when the yield curve steepens to the point where lending institutions want to give you money at a cheaper rate, and you can afford to do it. Can we're I? Not, can I? We're a ways away. Can I sell my mudroom? Your what? My mudroom. Yeah, that might not have been the best <laughs> investment for this economic environment. Tony Dwyer, ladies and gentlemen, what a sh man! What a show! Thank you so much. You taught us a lot today. We're going to do favorites, and then we're going to let you get out of here. Does that sound good? That sounds great. It's great right. to be with you guys. I'll go first. So I'm leaving for uh, Paris tomorrow and uh, taking the kids. And my kids have a- In this economy? Am I in right? In this economy. Oh, <laughs> forget about it. Just, well, Paris is rallying. This might be the most expensive <laughs> trip I've ever taken, too. Um, so, so my kids have no frame of reference about anything to do with France or- pa They just- I don't know. I don't know what they do all day. I think they're just on TikTok. Like they haven't read anything or or seen any movies or anything. Um, I'm not disappointed. I understand that's just that generation. Uh, so I was going to show Justin, my son, some movies about France, like his history of France, because we're going to see all this historical shit. <laughs> so we're watching The Man in the Iron Mask uh, last night. Oh, well, Leo. Uh, that movie is amazing. It's and awesome. I forgot. Who else is in it? 1998. Malkovich and Leo. So let me, let me walk you through it. Mal <laughs> Malkovich keeps his California accent the entire movie. He's one of the three musketeers. Oh, yeah. And oh he's like, God, God damn it, D'Artagnan. Is that Tony Banderas in it? Uh, no. You know who's in it? Jeremy Irons. Uh, and I said, Justin, you recognize his voice? That's Scar Lufasa. from The Lion King. No, oh, Scar, Scar, Scar. Uh, from The Lion King. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio basically playing himself. He's like, sends a guy to go get killed in the war so he can steal his girlfriend for the night. <laughs> like he's like literally playing himself. Uh, and who else is in it? Uh, Gerard Depardieu, who uh, is disgusting. Like In real it, life? No, in the movie. Uh, he's, just like a, really. he's like a pig in clothes. Um, <laughs> and one other guy. What, what's his name? G uh, Gabriel Byrne. Mm. Whatever. It's, a great, it's an amazing cast. But doesn't Leo play two, ca two characters? Well, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. It's from like... 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Justin falls asleep 10 minutes in because they start talking about the politics of France in the 1600s. He's out. Yeah. He, he's completely out. Uh, but I stayed up. I watched the whole thing. I thought you it was- show him Way Miz. What's that? Yeah. Way Miz. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, that, that'll, that'll keep his yeah. attention. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Apropos of nothing, great movie about France and uh, great, great- uh, I don't know. Who gives a shit? All right. Also, Succession season four, off to a, a good start. We don't have to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, are you caught up? I did not see season two, episode two yet. I don't know what you're waiting for. Okay. Uh, what do you have for us? Um, well, not much. I'm excited for Dave. The show with little Dicky, Tony, this is definitely not for you. Tony's not watching that but, shit. But uh, the audience might be, if they don't know. What which, else? What channel is that on? Uh, FX. Slash Hulu. Okay. I haven't seen any of it yet. Tony, what do you got for us? What should we be reading or watching? I liked The Night Agent. I thought that was pretty good. I didn't start Netflix. that yet. Oh, that's really good. What is, what is it? it? It's like a, a CIA kind of... It's, it's Netflix. Can we agree? Yeah. It's Netflix. It's low quality. Like, it's it's fun garbage. Uh, yeah, but you know what? In my life... That's okay. I love brainless okay. fun garbage. Yeah, oh, okay. me too. I'm good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I need stuff that I could have on and not have to be staring that's at the screen this. the whole time. That's this. That's, that's what exactly I like. it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to think about yeah. the market. I don't want to think about an answer to the question. I don't want to think about yeah. anything in family or at home. I'm with you. I want to just 
you know, John Wick for. You got to turn, <laughs> turn, turn your brain off. Oh, did you right. see John Wick yet? Not yet. Okay, I'm going to do Have this you? weekend. Not I'm gonna, I yeah, think yeah, we're going to yeah. see it. Yeah. All right. To- Tony Dwyer, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the Buddy, show. We really guys, appreciate thank, you. It's really great. Thank you. Thanks thank for having you. Me. Great job this week, Nicole. Great job, John, Duncan, Sean. Great job in the doc. We appreciate you. Guys, thanks so much for listening. If you have not subscribed to the show yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Give us reviews. We need those reviews for the algos and for all the AI and chat GPT. Uh, I got nothing else to say. We're good? Yeah? All right. Guys, have a great weekend, and we will see you next week. I said anything else.